Okay, welcome to those of you joining us online later in the week, and to those of you who made it here today, thank you for carving out some time this weekend to be here. If you've joined us recently, you know we've been, I've kind of been taking you on this journey um, that I believe is foundational to where we're headed as this new gathering of believers called the Grove Community Church. There's this guy named John Mark Comer out in Oregon, uh, out in the Portland area, and he's a pastor. He's author of a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a great book. Uh, He's a pastor of a church called Bridgetown, and if I was going to start a church from scratch, I would probably go out and I would move out there for a year, and I would just kind of watch and see how he does what he does, because I would want to start something that looked like that here in the Midwest. So it just his, his understanding of Scripture, the way that he articulates what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, that's vocabulary that you're seeing happen here. So today, again, I'm more curator than creator of today's content. So if there's anything good that comes from our time today, it's probably his idea or move of the Holy Spirit. We'll leave room for that too. Um, unless it's not any good, then that's, that's on me. That's my fault. But And John Mark, if you stumble across this uh, video on YouTube, you are more than welcome to visit a brand new little church here in the Midwest. You can be our guest speaker. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verse 39. It's going to be our text today. It's page 1034 in the Pew Bibles, and you're welcome to follow along. But be aware, I was informed that our translation uh, might be a little different from what you're going to hear me read today. Or you can follow along on the screens. We, we're going to put that up there on the screen for you today. So real quick, you, you guys remind me, what is the open invitation of Jesus to become his Talmudim? Yep, good. Or a better translation is apprentice. And to apprentice under Jesus means that we order our lives around three habits. We talked about the first one a couple of weeks ago. Anyone remember what those are? To be with Jesus, yep, become like Jesus, yeah, man, you guys are awesome. You get a little help from the tech booth today, aren't you? Okay, that's okay. So yeah, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to begin doing what Jesus did. And just so you know, wherever you find yourself on this journey, you are welcome here. I mean, even if you've not decided what you believe about Jesus, that's okay. Uh, Hopefully the Grove is a safe place for you to investigate his truth claims. So today we're going to look at the second goal of an apprentice, and uh, that is how to become like Jesus. So let's look at Luke 6, starting with verse 39. And this is going to be our primary scripture reading for the day here. This is the shortest parable in the Bible, okay? Luke 6, 39 through 40. He also told him a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So there's a couple of things worth noting in this passage. Look again at verse 40. The disciple or apprentice is not above the teacher, but when the apprentice is fully trained, they become like their rabbi or teacher. So remember our goal, to become like Jesus, not to know about Jesus. Our goal for those of us who are apprentices of Jesus is to become like 
Jesus. Not just know about, but become like. So a few basic assumptions from this passage. First, it takes training. Training takes time. It takes training. Notice when it says the apprentice is fully trained. So that suggests that an apprentice can be partially trained. But it's still in training. Okay? And then the second thing is it takes time. Training takes time. It's not enough to just know information. Over time, we don't just try. I think it was Craig Groeschel that said this recently. We don't just try to look more like Jesus today. We train to become more like Jesus today and tomorrow and over time. So what this means for most of us is that we need to change. And, and not just a little tweak or an adjustment in our life, um, but if you're anything like me, you begin to realize that to become like Jesus, you need radical change in your life. So let's look at another passage. This one is found in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, or page 1173 in your pew Bible. And it says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That word, transformed. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That's the Greek word. It's the same word that we kind of get the word metamorphosis. Any of you kids ever caught a caterpillar, put it in a jar with a, with a leaf, and it turns into a pupa? And then what's it, what's it turn into after that? A butterfly, exactly. And that's exactly kind of the word picture that's being used here. So let me, let me just ask you this question. Is this really possible? I mean, like, come on, like, really? Like, is it really possible to become like Jesus? And if so, how? Like, how do we do that? Because we all know simply wanting to change isn't enough, right? We've all tried that. I got out of the shower again. I looked in the mirror. I'd love to change. You know what I mean? But it's hard work. And knowing that I need to change isn't enough. It's frustrating. So let me give you the phrase that has become kind of the Christianese. If you're not familiar with kind of the Christian setting and some of the vocabulary, you spend enough time around Jesus follows followers. Um, when we talk about pursuing real change in our lives as apprentices of Jesus, you're going to hear the words spiritual formation. Okay. Dallas Willard says it like this, spiritual formation is the process whereby the inmost being of the individual takes on the quality or character of Jesus himself. But here's what I want us to understand today. Spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing. It's a human thing. We don't like to hear this, but we are all disciples of someone or something. You know, we don't need to ask the question, are you a disciple? A better question is, who or what are you a disciple of? We're all being shaped and being formed. So, on the back of your program, there's a place to take notes. This is my first time putting some notes on the back. That was kind of fun to do. Um, so, if you've got, hopefully you've got the program, and hopefully those are on there. I just thought, oh, maybe they didn't get on there. But if you've got, if you've got a diagram there and you've got a pen... 
We're going to take a few notes today. Um, so let me show you what I mean. First, let's look at unintentional formation. Okay, This is the type of formation that doesn't take any strategic planning. Zero effort. All you have to do tomorrow is wake up in the morning and go about your day, and you're going to be shaped by the stories that we believe. We are narrative in nature. We love stories. We are created to live in a story. It's why we love film. It's why we love books. Like we, we crave story. I think that's why I love country music because it's like a story put to music. It's, it's, I love it. But listen, the stories you believe give rise to the way that we live. Okay. And, and, If you don't believe me, just think about what's happened the last 16 months. Like, you'd have to be living under a rock to not see this play out. All of us know someone in our family or in our workplace that has held some very different opinions this past year when it comes to the pandemic and the election. I mean, you name it. And it's not just them. It's it's us, too. The stories we believe have shaped us. Whether it's the story we believe about current events or about God, or about who Jesus is, the definition of sin, the story we believe about creation or evolution impacts the way we live. The story we believe about sexual ethics, we are formed by the stories we believe. Erwin McManus, an author and a pastor, he says it like this, the future is created and culture is shaped by those who tell the best story. And there's something about that that resonates with us. We get that. We're like, yeah, that that makes sense. So secondly, there are the habits that we live into, okay? We basically are little more than the cumulative effect of our daily and weekly habits. If you're a teacher here, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, you're going to understand this. Doctors and researchers that study the brain and human, human behavior all agree, to put it more simply, The things we do, do something to us. Our habits get into our our core, and they affect our longings. I didn't grow up in a a coffee-drinking family, Um, so the first time I had coffee was on my way home from college for the summer. I had just pulled an all-nighter to try to pass a class, and I'm driving this old 78 Ford pickup full of stuff home, and I cannot keep my eyes open. I pull over at this... uh, this little rest stop in Indiana, and they've got one of those vending machines. This was before Starbucks were at every exit. So this is way back, right? And they've got a vending machine that you push the button, it drops a cup, and it fills it with coffee, and you can pick, you can pick like two cream or three sugar, and I didn't know what I was, I was picking. Again, this is my first cup of coffee. And so I drink that whole thing, and it was nasty. I thought I was going to throw up on the way home. That was my first cup of coffee. That was my first impression. So there was no desire in me to ever consume coffee again. That was a terrible experience. But then all of a sudden, Innkeepers pops up in Galesburg, and my brother brings me an iced mocha blanca. I don't know if you guys have ever had an iced mocha blanca, but it doesn't look like coffee. It's creamy and sugary and sweet, and there's whipped cream on top. And I drink that, and I'm like, you know, that's that's not terrible. You know, and then before you know it, I'm having one of those like every other day. And then I start trying coffee with a little less cream. 
and then a little less cream and no sugar. And then I get a job working at Starbucks. And I learned the story of coffee. And we do this thing, when you, when you get a job there, it's called the first taste. My, my daughter still works there. I wish she was here. You do, it's called the first taste. And basically, it is, a, it is like a half hour to an hour block of time where they do a story about the coffee and they do a pour over of different kinds of coffee to allow you to experience the little subtle differences between a light roast and a dark roast, an Ethiopian blend, an Italian blend, and there's fruity flavors there's earthy flavors, and now I start every day with a cup of coffee. Like, I bring the water to a boil, I let it stand for 30 seconds because it tastes bitter if you don't, if you, if you, if you burn it, it's bitter, and then I, I pour it in fresh coffee grounds, it's got to be fresh, freshly ground coffee, let that steep for four minutes, and I've been shaped by that habit. I did that this morning. Now, in my head, I know it's not good for me. I know that it's not good because occasionally I'll fast. I'll just like, you know what? You just need to tell your body who the boss is, right? And so I'll fast from coffee. And after three days of headaches, it's amazing. Like you can think clear, you sleep better, your stomach feels better. Like I, I just know it's, it's not good for me to drink so much coffee. So why do I go back? Because what we love, which is affected by our habits has far more of an effect on our life than what we know to be true in our head. So, our habits shape our longings. Next is our relationships. Relationships, we become like the people we hang out with on a regular basis. So chances are, you dress like, you vote like, you talk like the people you hang out with. There's not a better example of this than my daughter. We dropped her off at college last year. And as we met her roommate and all the people in her wing, it's like, you know, wow, what a really very different group of people. This is great. You know, some have curly hair, some have straight hair, um, some like sports, some don't. And it was just like, it was, it was very different. We went to a baseball game a couple of weeks ago and her friends came out and it was just like, they all looked the same. Like they all had straight hair. They all wear the same clothes. They all talk the same way. Over time, you become like the people you hang out with. Someone told me the other day, he's like, yep, if you hang out with five millionaires, you'll be the sixth. I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta find some new friends, man. <laughs> and then all of this happens in a certain environment. We live in rural Knox County, so this has a very different impact than if we lived in Seattle or Chicago, Peoria or Galesburg for that matter. And there are some things that I love about America, specifically rural America. Um, but there are also some things that are very opposite to being an apprentice of Jesus. So we become like where we live. But we also need to recognize that we live in a digital age right now, right? So we have this, we have this new world called the phone world. So the world keeps getting smaller and smaller. And that's why you, you'll see a hipster, whether you're in Seattle or Knox County, like, and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. And that is now all a part of our environment. And you can add to that kind of your family of origin, um, your experiences, if you've experienced trauma or abuse. These variables all conspire. These variables all conspire. Go to the next slide, guys. I think it has environment in the middle there. There you go. Boom. Sorry about that. There's a ton of slides today, so give them, 
give them kudos for even being this far along. Um, so all of those, all of these variables conspire to kind of shape us into the person that we're becoming. And, and here's the thing. All you have to do is just wake up tomorrow. You don't need to be strategic or intentional. Just do nothing and you'll become exactly the sum total of this diagram will shape you into. All I was doing was listening to country music while I, while I work around the house. And then I hear my four-year-old son singing in the other room, she don't love you, she just lonely. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? You know, That's the power of unintentional formation. I think that was Brady when he was four. That was, that was a few years ago. <laughs> he had a really good voice too. I was impressed. See, as a parent, as a student, as a pastor, as a leader, as an apprentice of Jesus, like this shouldn't just concern us. This should freak us out a little bit, right? We should be extremely motivated to create some sort of counter-strategic movement in our lives. And my kids make fun of me because they said this the other day. But when they get in trouble, and it, it's not that they do something evil, but, you know, kids get in trouble. It's usually subtle. Um, but my kids will kind of laugh and look at each other and because my first response is what? What's my first response, Evan? Get in trouble. Give me your phone. Me your phone. <laughs> That's right. He knows. And, uh, and, and so I say that not because I'm trying to be mean. I say that because there, I'm discerning that there's something in your unintentional formation that needs immediate intervention. My wife and I will joke, sort of, sort of a joke, but um, we'll kind of say to each other, have you noticed how creative and constructive the kids get when they're grounded like just need to leave them grounded forever it's amazing like you take away their phone and they're in the machine shed and they're building something like this is awesome let's do this all the time so the question for for us for you and me as an apprentice of jesus is how do we counter how do we offset the unintentional spiritual formation and change to become more like jesus remember that's the goal to become like jesus not our phone not our culture not social media so first, there are two myths that we're going to bust here. First of all, myth number one, all you really need to do is know the Bible, okay? And we know that isn't true because knowing something is not the same as doing it, which is not the same as wanting to do it, which is not the same as loving doing it. Myth number two, you don't need to do anything. It's all God. You guys ever seen the movie The Matrix? And Comer uses this illustration of, of Trinity and The Matrix. Have you guys seen the movie The Matrix? So The Matrix is the world that you see, and they're, like, plugged in. And so, you know, hey, can you fly that chopper? I, I need a download for, like, a B-12 chopper or whatever. And so, you know, he types it in and, like, uploads it. And before you know it, she's, like, getting everything she needs in her head to fly this chopper. And she's like, well, all right, let's go. So... I, I wish that was true. Like, God, okay, I, I, need, I need patience. Like, oh, okay, Brady, oh, you didn't feed the chickens? That's okay, man. That's all right. No worries. You know, or, oh, download peace. I need peace right now. I'm like, we're good. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, that's not how apprenticeship works. And by the way, don't, don't think of the matrix 
as like a pastoral endorsement here. I, I watched that way before I was an apprentice of Jesus, so I just think it's a good illustration if you're familiar with the movie. So I don't, you guys go out and rent that tonight. That's not my fault. So, unfortunately, that's not how apprenticeship to Jesus works. That would be awesome, but those are the myths. Here's what is true, okay? You have a role to play, and so does God. Dallas Willard says it like this, grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Okay, remember that. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation But there is things that we need to do to train to become more like Jesus. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. I had a mentor named Cal, and he used to say it this way. Without him, we can't. And without us, he won't. So let's look at the intentional spiritual formation paradigm. So if you're taking notes, we're going down to the next one. First of all, teaching. Okay? Good teaching. It's why we're here today. It's why we read the Bible in the morning. It's why we take a class. The best kind of teaching does more than just tell you right from wrong. It gets into your head with a vision of the good life. It undermines the stories that we believe that are not true. That's why Jesus would tell a story, by the way. You know, there, you, you'll look through Scripture. Jesus wasn't giving you, like, the three things to a better week, right? Like, he was telling... A story. He would just tell us a story about the way that the world actually works. You know, hey, Jesus, should we pay our taxes? Well, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God. Hey, Jesus, can I sit by you when you rule in heaven? <laughs> you know, he who's first will be last. He who's last will be first. True stories. Look what it says in Romans 12. You don't have to turn there. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Man, I was reading this this week. If if you do anything out of this message this week, man, just read Romans 12. Like, that is just gold. Here's what it says in the first two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that is testing that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's just the beginning. Okay? The next way that we counter the habits is with practice. We've been talking a lot about this just in my short time here. We, we talk about the practices of Jesus. And it's not about trying really hard. Again, it's about training really hard. It's going to take a lifetime of practice by practicing the presence of God. It's not about trying hard. It's about training hard. My son, Brady, I'm going to use you as an example again, but he's playing peewee. Well, so is Waylon. Where's Waylon? Waylon's playing peewee too. And I know some of you guys are are playing baseball. Um, So we practice and we play catch, and we try to take some batting practice occasionally. And, And here's what we both know. If we just show up at the game and he tries really hard, um, it's probably not going to be very fun for him. He's probably not going to do really well. And I can pray really hard for him to hit the ball, and, and I, can, I can pray that the Holy Spirit will give him confidence, but it will take a miracle for him to hit that ball, right? And if he does hit a home run, it's a miracle. That's awesome. 
But then we gotta, we got to pray for that again. Like, we need another miracle for him to hit the ball. And my love for him doesn't help him hit the ball. Like, he, he, my love for him isn't dependent upon him hitting the ball. And he knows that I love him no matter what. But my love for him can't help him hit. So what do we have to do? He has to train. You know, 25 ground balls, 25 cuts, 25 pop-ups every day that there is in a game. So it's not about trying really hard. It's about training really hard. And it's not that he can't hit an 87-mile-an-hour curveball. It's that he can't hit an 87-mile-an-hour curveball yet. Right? What do you think? True? We'll have to, pra- we'll have to practice that. I have to find somebody to throw that first. So the practices of Jesus get in at a very foundational level. They kind of reorient our loves and our affections. Adopting the practices of Jesus, silence and solitude. Is anybody still doing that? If you're not, try silence and solitude 10 minutes a day and just see how that changes your day. Fasting and prayer, reading scripture. And then we get intentional with our relationships as we pursue community. Okay? We can't do this alone. How are we doing up there? All right. They're right on it. <clears throat> and I hope to kind of discuss this more as we head into the fall. <clears throat> but this gathering, like doing this on Sunday mornings and, and the gatherings that happen outside of these four walls are absolutely crucial to being successful in this Christian life. They're, they're just crucial, pushing back kind of the unintentional formation, that tide that's constantly pushing at us, making sure that we're gathering. This is kind of the, this is the counter formation. This is how intentional spiritual formation works. This is how we're transformed. And it's all within the context of Jesus' promise. This is the beautiful thing, because this can feel heavy. This can feel like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go to work, you know, with my, with my spiritual life. And, and yes, and And no, because this all happens within the context of Jesus' promise of an easy yoke and a light burden. Okay, So how do we become like Jesus? Through teaching, through practice, through community, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the liturgical church, um, we were just talking about this this morning a little bit. We we celebrate uh, the Pentecost this weekend. That's the day when the Holy Spirit kind of descended upon his disciples in the upper room, and then they were kind of, they were bold, and they... Peter preached the best message he ever preached in his life with the Holy Spirit's help. If you try to do this on your own, if you don't include the Holy Spirit in this, you're, you're going to get really frustrated really, really quick. Even with the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen in a week, right? It's going to take a decade or two or more. So let me, let me just close with, with the question that we started with. Is transformation really possible? Is it really possible to become like Jesus? And what, what, if, what, if, what if you're in the middle of a bitter divorce? What if, what if you were abused as a child? What if a pastor or a parent or someone who represented the voice of God in your world lied to you or hurt you. Is, trans- is, it, is it possible? Like, is transformation possible? And the answer is yes. But it, 
won't just happen, okay? It'll take a lifetime of intentional practice in community through the gentle guidance, sometimes gentle guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're being formed and shaped into someone no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, you're being formed and shaped into someone. Here's the question. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Don't think about your husband. Don't think about your kids. Don't think about your mom and dad. This is for you to consider. And as you map the trajectory of your life, as you think about the unintentional formation paradigm, who are you becoming? And when I tried to answer that question a few years ago, I, I didn't like I didn't like the answer. Like and I, and I sit with this question often, and I'm still not sure I, I like the answer. But I realized that I was on track to being really, really successful on the outside, but kind of a mess on the inside. And if I'm going to become like Jesus, I need some radical changes in my life. You can change. You can experience transformation. So my challenge for us this week is to spend some time sitting with this question. And kind of keep these notes with you. Take your program home, put in your Bible, and as you kind of do your, your, your reading throughout the day, your silence and solitude, why don't you just kind of keep that in front of you and just reflect on the question, who, who am I becoming? What does it look like if I don't do anything different than what I'm doing right now? What, is it, what, what do I look like in five years, in ten years? And ask yourself, do you like the answer to that question? Who am I becoming? And what needs to change for me to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus? What can we do now as an apprentice of Jesus to become like our rabbi? Let's pray. And as I do, I'll have Karen get ready to lead us in our last song. But God, I know this is, a, this is a lot of stuff. This is a lot of information, and it came really quick. So we need your Holy Spirit to help us process it this week. Um, but I just pray that you would, you would give us a spirit of humility. I believe that probably more than any other other week that we've had here as, as this new gathering of believers, um, this would be the one where the enemy might say, wait a minute, what's going on over there? Because for anybody to consider this, Lord, it, it, is, um, it is entering the battlefield. You combine that with the fact that we know that there's an enemy out to, to seek and destroy us. God, we pray for your protection right now. We bind any spirit of distraction, any spirit of manipulation, any lying spirit. We just bind that in Jesus' name, and we just ask that you would replace it with your spirit of truth. We would allow your truth to penetrate our hearts at a very deep level this week. God, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name.
Amen.